Well, you know, I could make this a very emotional, exciting morning because I'm seeing what I have hoped for for 53 years become a reality that we would restore uh, God as being a just God and uh, back to the church and back to the American involvement in what we call American as a Christian nation. And I'm seeing the possibility of that. And I'm seeing congregations like this. Uh, this is a new reality at a new time in America's life. This have been and can be and we want it to be a new nation. As Abraham Lincoln said, uh, the idea was that there would always be revival, there would always be a new birth, a new birth, and a new birth of freedom. Because this nation made the greatest proposition or statement of any nation in the history of the world. And I believe that this nation has been blessed as one of the greatest nations on earth. And it reflects this God who has a concern for justice, but God's redemptiveness in terms of allowing a people to continue. In the light of this great statement, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all human beings are created equal and is endowed by that creator with certain rights. Chief among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That we were gonna make a new kingdom expression, experience as a nation. We were gonna be from many nations, under God, all nations under God, with liberty and justice for all. Those are the greatest statements in human history. It affirms the statement that we was created in the image of God. We was created to reflect God in the world. And so we was created to be a nation of, of justice and equality. But we defaulted on that, especially in the light of color. As soon as the ink was dry of that statement, we begin to bring slaves in. And that's when we become the heresy, the heresy that took root within the church. And for the next hundred or so years, we was passing amendments to a statement, the greatest statement in history. And then came the civil rights movement. And we made great progress there. I see now another possibility of the church. I, I think we're too divided 
in terms of either ideology, in terms of Republican, Democrats, Tea Party, communism, and those things. I, I, I think they've stalled us. And, and, and we're stalled. Our own nation can't go forward, really. They can't get a consensus on what is the common good anymore. Our people need light. The idea of the Christian church that it would be the light of the world, we would be the light of the world, and we would shine this light into dark places of society. The church is to shine as light in the midst of a crooked and perversive generation. We know it's out there. I see that new people emerging. Emerging. These people who are making first things, first thing, because God's motivation for redemption was his love and justice. That was the motivation. The motivation for God's incarnation was how can God be just and justify this humanity that had plunged the world into death? When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he created a disaster. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But he also says the gift of God is eternal life. So grace was right there behind God's love. And God's, so God's justice would be his judgment. His judgment on humanity for their sin. But as he communicated to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he made a promise. He made a promise that someday sin would be dealt with, that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. And that becomes the hope and the redemptive idea. That's what the Old Testament is all about. It's about that hope. That's what the prophets was all about. Because sin was so sinful. And then mankind would need a redeemer. And the problem was, how could this God who created man in his image to obey him, how could he now, and brought about this disaster on the human race, how could God be just? He's, he can't set his justice aside because there is no shadow of turning with God. He's absolute truth and he's absolute justice. So this God of creator has a real problem on his hand, real problem. The real problem is how can he be just and justify you and me? The redemptive plan began. Now the Bible is about that Old Testament redemptive plan, about that seed of the woman. The thought of Job before the Bible had that thought in it. I know that my Redeemer, Job, is experiencing the misery of sin in his body. And he cries out in agony, and he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he will stand in the latter days upon the earth. And even though worms might destroy his body, yet in my flesh will I see the Lord whom I will see for myself and not another. And that was the promise in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just full of that, that that Redeemer is coming. 
the idea that Jesus would come. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And the increase of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. That was the great Old Testament story. The New Testament, of course, is going to be about that Redeemer, about that incarnated God, that God would take on a body, that he would be Emmanuel, that he would be God with us. He would be the Redeemer. That's the theme of the Bible. The incarnation of God to come and live with man and to then not set his justice aside, but that he would take the punishment that we deserve. The wedges of sin is death. Jesus made that death on the cross. That's what it's about. It's about him dying on that cross, making what we call in theological words an atonement for sin so that mankind can now, he didn't set out a punishment aside. He took the punishment. And now he can be just. And he can forgive. And this and the only person who could forgive is God, and he forgive on the basis of the fact that he paid the penalty for sin on the cross. Now, then the idea of what it means to be a Christian then is to accept that and to be born now again into the family of God. And we now become the children of God. And then we join with God in his redeeming. His redeeming. The last words he said, he said, go into all the world and preach this incarnated truth that you guys are now the redeemers. You can redeem. You can join with me and become workers together with me and carrying the gospel to the end of the world. And, and just blow your mind. When you think. He says this in my passage I'm looking at uh, this morning is in 1 John uh, chapter 3. That's my text this morning that I'm unraveling here before you. He says, when John tells the story in the first chapter of this incarnation of God, that's what you have heard. He repeats what he says in his gospel. In his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things was made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and this life was the light of man. And this word was made flesh and dwell among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the story. In this epistle, he, he opens up that epistle this way. He said, that's which we have heard, that's which we have learned unto you, which we touched and fell, that God incarnated himself with us to live in us. And then... When John comes then trying to explain that's the mystery of godliness. That's the only way that we can be godly people, that we accept the very fact 
of Jesus has worked out this redemption for us. And if we don't receive that redemption, uh, we're lost. That's what Paul the apostle said. If our gospel be, be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost in whom the gods of this world has blinded their mind, lest the light of this glorious gospel should shine upon them. The story of the gospel is the story of God made flesh and came to live, sacrificed his death on the cross, his life, the just for the unjust, to bring us back to God. And then he brings us in his family and make us his ambassadors here on earth to tell the rest of the world about Christ. When John explained that and come to that conclusion in that we are children of God, he cries out, what manner of love is this? That's, that's one of the most glorious statements. And that's what we should be trying to understand. And if we can understand that, we can be grateful. We can carry this mission to the world. Because he has worked out a redemption for us. Even in John, he worked out a redemption for us even though we sinned. He died for the sin of the world. Sin is what brought this disaster upon humanity, this sickness and death upon humanity. God's redemptive power is so powerful that he has worked out a ongoing redemption for we who are the children of God. He said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's talking about us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't sin, we make God a lie, and the truth is not in us. That's for the Christian. Not only he worked out Adam's redemption, but he worked out our own redemption that we can have day by day God's forgiven grace. And when he looked at that and sees that, what manner of love is this? What manner of love is this that God would work out this redemption? And that we who was lost sinners now bond again into the kingdom of God. You know, we, Paul tries to get us to see that in, in 2 Corinthians right there when he explained it. He said that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation and that we are his ambassadors for God. God had commissioned us that we could go into the world and that we should be redeemers and, and redeeming people completely, redeeming their soul and their body uh, and, and, and their spirit, uh, a, a complete total salvation and deliverance. If we understood that, we would be in a hurry. We would be in a hurry. We would be going telling on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, going telling on the mountain what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in our life. And what has happened to us, the church has become the letter sin church. It becomes self-centered, and we become addicted with ourselves in society. And most of what we do now is for ourselves. 
and we are creating the poverty and the misery and not recognize the fact that God wanted us to be his peacemakers in the world. And the only way you can be peacemakers is proclaiming that we serve a just God. And, and it's, it's becoming a crisis. We haven't even dealt with it yet. That we are creating the poverty by the lack of being the stewards of God and raising the society that can distribute these resources that don't belong to us, but he give us the privilege of managing them and subduing them, and we are holding too much of it for ourselves. And the world is not going to go. War comes because of greed. From which come in greed and fight, fighting, what kind of war and fighting among you? It comes from our own greed. I'm reading the book of James to you. The church, we should be the example. We are God's children. We're in the family of God. And he's also give us the assurance that we can do this. He forgave us from Adam's sin. He redeemed us. Now he redeems us daily if we confess our sins. We're faithful and just. Why do I write this, John said, so you can have fellowship with us and truly have a fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We need to be developing now because justice returned to the church. We need to teach people how to do justice. That's what Michael said. Michael was very careful in his word. He said, we're to what is required of humanity. You ask the question, why am I here? Why did God create me? He created you to know him and to make him known. How do you do that? I've shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before the Lord. Esteeming others at least equal to yourself in society. That's the way Jesus defined justice. That was a question of the, uh, the long, young lawyer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be right with God, to live with him forever? And he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. He tells him the story of one they had polarized the race and it was somebody they didn't like. The Good Samaritan, you could call that an oxymoron in the Jewish behavior. Wasn't no such thing as being a Good Samaritan in their life. You know, I experienced that in Mississippi. Uh, we was niggers. Right now, this generation have done a good thing. They, are, they, have, they have rebelled against that. They, they, they now have to call the N-word because they can see the damage that it done to a people, into a people, into a people. And I, said, and I see that damage as I go to prison every day. I see that damage as I go and see the poverty every day. I, I see what that kind of victim mentality do to people. It undermines them of their creativity in life. That's why we need to be set free. Set free, set free. 
And I'm seeing the gospel set us all free. But I think Martin Luther had it right. Martin Luther King said this right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere in life. We are living at the threshold. Uh, justice had been sort of somewhat removed, and we had a sort of a, a dysfunctional criminal justice in our society. That's what we ended up with, a criminal justice society. And it's now filling the jails up. We, we don't have a just society. And so this generation is the first generation of my 83 years. And this generation is in the church. The church is leading it. Nobody is talking like this now but Christians. But, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a new emerging people. It's people now for the last 20 or so years. We done went through all of the victim stuff. We done see all of that stuff. And now we see this, this, the, the poverty and, and male distribution of wealth is getting greater and greater in the world. There are the young group of people who see the enriching of people who are different from them. This is the first generation. Jesus told us to do it, and our lives were being rich. Go into all the world and share the gospel. Learn from them. And this is the first generation that is going to the nation to be enriched by the nation. We are going to learn. We are going to embrace them. We are, it's like playing a baseball game, a football game. We want to go and be in creative competition with them. We're going to win some and we're going to lose some. That's what makes sports so important. It makes an assumption of equality in life. The church have been doing that. They would find those Africans in villages somewhere and they would ship them overseas and make them merchandise. We would see those people and we would exploit them, undermine their land, and if necessary, if they needed a black leader, we'd put a dictator there. A Spanish leader, we'd put a dictator there. And we was a Christian people of the world. That's gone forever. It will be spotted. And we have flash walls over the world. But now we're becoming an international people. The new information and network, we can't do that anymore. We've got a war on terror, and it's now 10 years old, and we're not into it yet. We won't be able to wipe out terrorists. We can only wipe out terrorists if we see them as created in the image of God, and they need God. And we figure out ways to bring this good news to them and to the world. We was created to do that. We were so, if you want to know who's at fault in our world today, it's an apostated church. It's an apostated church have created a personal prosperity Christianity for themselves. 
and saying, if you be as rich as me, then it's going to solve my problem. That is not solving people's problem. I'm not anti-rich at all. I'm not anti-rich at all. Rich people don't walk around with all their money in their pocket. They use it to do something with it and make jobs. God never talks about it in that term. He talks about it in terms of stewardship. Stewardship. How do you use God's resources to be more creative? That's the parable, of, that's the parables we have of Jesus giving the people the talents. That's the parables. And so I'm not anti-rich. I'm anti-people being confused of the fact that they are steward. That God gives, we ran off of Jabad. We missed Jabad. Y'all remember Jabad? And it prosperity theology got a big boost in Jabed because they misunderstood Jabed, the prayers of Jabed. They misunderstood it. Jabed was born in pain, and his mother called him pain. And when he grew up, he said, I want to be a pain bearer. I know how much my mother suffered in that. Now I want you to expand my borders so I can be a pain reliever in the world. And so I won't, he made him rich, prosperous, but he made him rich so he could enrich the people around him and could share in this abundantly of creation that God has given to us to manage. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Let me give you, and I can give the most comprehensive thought of justice. I'm going to give you a less comprehensive thought of justice. I'm going to say it is a understanding stewardship. Understanding stewardship and understanding ownership. And in the Bible, God never really gives in his illustration. It's never accident. It's never an accident. God always make his distributors and makes his rich outside of those. He named them because they are selfish and greedy. He talks about them as being good stewards of God's resources. God honors the good steward. And even if you talk about giving, there's a passage, there's a whole passage in 2 Corinthians about giving. And it says that God gives back to the steward so that the steward can be in a position to always give to those in need in our society. That's justice. That's justice here on earth is returning. And I, I boy, sometimes I teach it, it becomes so threatening to people. But that's our freedom. That's our freedom. And you know, let me say something about this town. Just to overlook, I've been here before. I think God has blessed y'all in a wonderful way. I believe y'all could be almost an exemplary city. And, and, and I could believe that this church, Antioch, could be an exemplary I see this place as, as prosperous, and I'm sure there's a lot of the homeless. Why shouldn't they come here? 
Why shouldn't they come through here? And I think they come through here, you ought to try to do them good. You ought, to, you ought to do the best you can do for them. You ought to try to affirm their dignity. They need more than your stuff. They need to know Jesus Christ. And of course, the greatest poverty program that you could ever put together is helping people to have a, a good job. Can't nothing outdo that. It gives you the maximum of freedom. I'm not telling people here right now to give your junk to them. You know, there's a time when they need your junk. <laughs> but I'm telling, I'm telling you to give them something that is more than that. And that's the good news of the redeeming love of God. So what are the anchors? What is the great motivation for God's redemption? His love and his justice. But he has worked out a redemptive place for you and I. And the church is God's reconcilers in the world. When John looked at that here, it's, it's just like when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming that he had had this vision that he was the pioneer to go before Jesus and that he was introducing Jesus to the world. He didn't know who he was, but one day Jesus showed up to be baptized and John said, behold, the Lamb of God. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that we, you and me, can be called the children of God. I'm, let me close with a poem, if I can remember it, will help this morning. If I can remember it. It's a song. There is a light in every soul. Some is brightly burning. Some is dark and cold. There is a spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that brings the fire, ignites the light, and make it home. Take your spirit, take this light, run to the darkness. Seek out the lonely, the poor and despair. Hold out your light, your count, for all to see it. Take your count, go light the world. I would say that you people here in Ben has been blessed, has been blessed. You're being blessed with the whole message of the gospel. But it's what we do with it. What we do with it. Light was meant to shine in the darkness, in dark places. And somebody said to me this morning, you probably, people probably have the most homeless than, than, than per capita probably than anybody. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. But why can't we be the solution to that problem? Why don't we try it? Why don't we try it? Unless, of course, you're doing that. You're doing that. You're breaking down racial barriers. I had an experience, I'm going to be finished. Once I was out preaching, this has been 35 years ago, and I was preaching in Portland, and I didn't see many black people, you know, there. And I said, who are the black people? And somebody was saying, uh, 
or somebody was saying, uh, uh, well, we got uh, the biggest population is right here in Portland. I mean, they said one of the biggest population is right here in Portland. They said, but the biggest population is in the prison. That was not good news. That was not good news. That was not good news. We should take our light, run to the darkness. Seek out the broken, those are the spies. Hold out our account for all to see it. Take our account, go light the world. I really believe that you folks here have a great background here. Great background. I believe that God wanna bless you. You are out here almost you could almost say, in wilderness, no man land. But God has blessed you. I don't know. It's only been probably when I was in Sweden or probably in, um, in New Zealand that I've seen a city that has a... Your city is beautiful. It's not elaborate. It's not extreme. <laughs> not extreme. I, I believe that God could make this church, this city, uh, this, this little discipleship college could make it something unique from this place. That you've been blessed with God. You've been blessed with God. Now, you need to take ownership of that. My job would say, take ownership of this. Uh, let's participate. I remember I said to, said to uh, Wayne Gordon when we started CCDA with 35 members of the organization, 35 of us got together. And when we had our first convention, we had 150 people there. And after about the fifth convention, I said to, uh, we probably had 2,000. I said to um, Gordon, I said, God have entrusted us with something that's wonderful. And I can say that to you, Ken. I believe that God have entrusted you people here. I mean that in the highest thought. Antioch Church with the central truth of the gospel. That justice is what God is all about. Why shouldn't a God who created us all in his own image? And why do we put in our constitution that all human beings are created equal as an endowed by a creator God with certain rights, chief among those a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? What manner of love is this? What kind of love is this? that he has made us do it, uh, this redeeming love. This morning I had a thought that sort of blew my mind. You, everybody know that uh, a big thought that God forgives sin. You know that, don't you? You all know that. But because we have been forgiven, we can become his ambassadors. And so whatever we forgive, release, God will release it. 
That is a powerful talk. And I think our power will stand if we can forgive. Because if we can't forgive, it stops God's action toward you. It stops his redemptive. But if we can forgive, then it flows. And that's why the song became so popular. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners like you and me can flow, get beneath that flood and lose all our guilt and our stain. And now we can forgive others on the basis that we have been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for being here. I thank you for this good conversation that we can have about you here today and think about the depths of your love, but also the depths of your justice. But you took the penalty of sin. You died, the just for the unjust, so that we can come back to you and have this relationship with you. You have provided your blood that is eternal, sacrificial blood is alive and it continues to wash all our sins away. What manner of love is this? Bless this congregation. Bless these people here in Bend, Oregon and the surrounding community. Help them here to feel the joy of taking responsibility and then allowing you to use them as your witness and your people in this city. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.